Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strick and Roll. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 27. I am joined by first-time guest of the show. His name is Logan Thompson. That is at Benny underscore... At, at Benny score under... Oh, my God. Wow. At Benny underscore profane underscore on Twitter. He is a writer at Mavs Moneyball. Logan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good, except for the we're fact both- we're both yeah. coming off bad losses. Bad losses, and <laughs> I can't read apparently. So yeah. uh, not not going too well. But I'm looking forward to the long weekend uh, for what Veterans Day is tomorrow. So um, looking forward to not. Oh, I forgot that. about that. Yeah. yeah. So that that is something to look forward to. Uh, of course, the Knicks play tomorrow, so that might not be a good thing. But we'll see how <laughs> that goes. Uh, but before we get started, I do have to announce that Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There are a number of tiers. There is a six dollar tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. You also get access to the mailbag that comes out every other week, hosted by Andrew Steele, aka Doug, the Doug Bag. There are further tiers. There's a nine dollar tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, this pod right here that I host every week, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to, and much more importantly, wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a fifteen dollar tier, thirty dollar tier, fifty dollar tier, and a hundred dollar tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours. Truly, one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, yeah, look, I wanted to have you on because the Knicks have played 11 games now. They are 5-6. and six. Uh, They've had some concerning losses. They've had some nice wins. They've had some middling performances. It felt very Knicks-y like, like last year. I mean, it's felt sort of similar. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty similar, and we will talk about that uh but i wanted to look you are a mavs guy you have watched jalen brunson for four years in his career before leaving the mavericks uh and i guess you know there have been a lot of good things from jalen brunson there have been some things that i would just wonder about and i guess it'd be good to touch base with somebody who's watched them a lot so um the one thing that i think everybody was concerned about when we signed him and obviously it still worked out to be true, is not the greatest defender. Now, personally, this is just me, and I'm curious, again, to get your thoughts here. I'm not that worried about him being bad defensively. What is a little bit weird for me now is, and and I don't, look, again, I didn't watch the Mavericks religiously like I'm sure you do. I don't remember him being like, oh, he misses a rotations guy. And he's missing rotations in New York, and I just tend to think he is still playing. His brain is defaulting to like what the Mavericks were doing defensively, rather than he's just like not competing or ignoring or missing rotations. Uh, so is that accurate? Like, was he a bad rotation? Yeah, guy? no, that would be my hypothesis because he was like very much not that as a Maverick. His defensive limitations were just his size which like were such real limitations that you would say he's not a plus defender but he was like always in the right place and especially in the playoffs and you can kind of tell now like he's a better defender than Dinwiddie and a lot of people would be like well Dinwiddie's bigger but just like mentally so much more on top of stuff he's really good at taking charges which like if you haven't seen that kind of aspect of the game that much that could be part of it where he's like not able to kill he's a half second behind on everything and last year, our defense started bad, 
And then all the players claimed it took them a while to figure out um, the rotations in Jason Kidd's system. And they were really good at rotations. Like they were excellent at taking away the three and stuff. So I don't know if perhaps considering that system was sort of complex, if maybe that's what it is, is that he's just trying to learn a new one. Um, But that would be my idea because yeah, he was always like just so on point, always in the right place. And that was sort of what kept him like a defensive neutral. Um, Yeah. And I, I think um, so just to go a little bit deeper. So like, I mean, I know it's obviously more complex, complex than this and it always is, but like, the Mavericks switch a ton, right? Like it's, that's the kind of crux of the defense. And what I have seen at least a few times, this happens like a lot, um, you know, obviously Brunson's defending point. So he'll be defending point. I'll bring the ball up and they'll set like a wing screen real quick. And what Brunson will do is he will switch and go with the roll man, which makes sense if you're running a switch, everything screen scheme. Yeah. Uh, what the Knicks tend to do and what Tibbs wants them to do is have that them fight over the screen and he's not supposed to switch that. So what ends up happening is that both him and the person defending the screen both go with the roll man. And that has, on multiple occasions, I've seen this like lead to wide open threes for the ball handler. I'm assuming that is just his brain defaulting to what he was doing last year. And, you know, to your point, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the Mavericks are pretty not awful, but they were like pretty thoroughly mediocre, especially on defense until about like 25, 30 games in. And then they all really picked it up. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if that's like kind of the time period where you would see Brunson and not just him, but like the team collectively, but him in this instance, because we're talking about him start to pick it up more. And it becomes kind of like secondhand memory because right now, I mean, look like NBA basketball happens fast. You're reacting instinctively in a lot of situations if you're reacting in- instinctively, you're probably reacting on stuff that you have in your muscle memory. And what he has in his muscle memory is from last year, right? He played in this switch heavy scheme and they're switching everything. And they had a lot of success doing that, but like, that's kind of what I think he's defaulting to. And I think that's where he's messing up. And it's not so much like he doesn't know where to be. And then also, I don't, I, I don't know how you guys do this defensively, but like off ball tip scheme is, super taxing on the off-ball players because they are expected to like anytime there's a pick and roll if you're the weak side if you're the weak side guy in the corner the short the the weak side corner you're expected to tag down hit the roll man and then recover back out to your shooter uh and it's like even if you know the the big isn't out of position you're expected to do that still and it's like very taxing and that's been a problem a lot through the first two years with tibbs early in early in the season then it usually gets better but like that, I, I'm wondering, like, is is kids' defensive scheme as taxing, or is that? Yeah, I mean, taxing is like the perfect word for it because it's aggressive, but it's more controlled. Like when he was in Milwaukee, that was his thing: is he had the most aggressive defense, and they just blitzed every pick and roll, and then eventually he just got eight alive. Like people figured it out. So I think what he kind of learned with Vogel was how to like do some hard doubles, to do some traps, but like to make it kind of controlled and like on a dime everybody gets back or people help accordingly like once the defense breaks down so it's like not quite the raptors grizzlies like we're here to force turnovers like that's an aspect of our team you know what i mean but in order to do that and for it not to just be a rain of open threes or layups like the, the rotations just have to be so fast and so and they are super taxing but i mean brunson that's kind of what he was always you know capable at was that like you never we were never worried about him within that. It was just like, oh, someone gets him on a, on a switch or within the matchup that he's in, he's going to get killed because he's so small. But that is also why I think our defense takes a while to get going. It's like, and Tibbs and Kidd are both defensive coaches. And like, you know, when we moved on from Carlisle, like he was just playing a lot of drop and like trying not to foul. And it was kind of this like, I remember the Spurs were really good at it, like back in the day when they were excellent. Like they played very simple defense and they just didn't foul. And like it was really about the principles. And then Coach Bud still does that, but they're like amazing at it. But some of these defensive coaches who like implement, I guess, more complex schemes, um, I I mean, it makes sense that it would take a while for the players. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean, that was our other thing with Carlisle was that like that's why our defense was so bad is that like we didn't have it was just kind of like uh, leaving guys out to dry by trying to like make their natural talent all that was you know that they were uh, bringing to the table when it's like well we really didn't have that much defensive talent so you kind of kind of scheme scheme it up but yeah I mean it's it's like I've just seen a lot of people like oh he's really bad I, and, and I get it like he hasn't been good defensively you know there, there's no way around it but like I guess for me I just I watched him enough in Dallas where I'm like I really I don't think this is a guy that's like like to me I'm watching him I don't think he's messing up because he's just like half-assing it you know kind of I don't want to say checked out because that's that's not right but like it, it's not a case of somebody who's just like trying to do the bare minimum and get by I just yeah. think he's like not he's not tied in like he's not totally locked into like okay this is if this happens i need to be here if that happens i need to be there and like like i don't really care i mean uh i also think the other part of this is that uh the starting lineup has not been particularly effective defensively and i think it's because i think a lot of it has to do with julius randall i think a lot yeah. of it has i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that They've been searching for the fifth guy. You know, right now it's Cam Reddish. And he he had a few good games. He had a bad game yesterday, which I actually don't really want to put on him. Uh, look, I don't want to talk about this too much, but it's like if you have me stand in the corner for the entire every time on offense and I barely touch the ball, you better believe every time I'm touching the ball, I'm getting a shot up. Uh, I don't really blame him for that. I, I would do the same thing, and I didn't have a really big problem with him defensively yesterday. And then on top of that, you know, you've got Mitch is out right now. So Sims is starting, which is okay. But like, you know, if Randall's not pulling his weight and RJ struggled a lot on defense, I think for the first few games, he's picked it up lately. And then you've got Brunson kind of like adjusting to a whole new scheme. There's just a lot of kind of shit going on that doesn't help him or the collective group perform adequately on that end. So I think it's like, Yes, he's struggling with some aspects, but there's also stuff that, you know, you would expect over time improves, and that should kind of help him out and mask some of the issues he does have. And it's like, you know, if the issues are just, oh, he gets taken advantage of on switches sometimes and his size is an issue doing XYZ things, that's okay. Uh, But I am like, actually, the one thing I will say, though, is forgetting, you know, the rotations. Okay, you missed that. That's fine. How was he at boxing out in Dallas? Because he's had a few, I don't want to say it's been like a glaring problem, but he's definitely had some instances of just like, he's caught ball watching instead of finding his man, putting a body on him and boxing out. Was that an issue at all in Dallas or what? Um, No, I mean, like I would always think it would be size related. Like he always kind of, I mean, he's, he was a scrapper, you know, like I yeah. mentioning the take charges that kind of went for the rebounding too. He ends up on the ground a ton. I don't know if you all have noticed it. He ends up on the ground. Like uh, Ryan Rosillo once said that about him, which is like, can he like stop falling? Cause it, I don't even think it's like foul drawing. I think it's just like, he goes to the rim hard for a tiny person. And then he just always ends up on the ground. But yeah, that would kind of – I mean, I guess the only – like you could go completely hypothetical and think guy with new contract, very comfortable with the New York Knicks organization, so he has a sense of – and I don't like to like make those kind of like uh, assumptions, but but um, I'm saying I guess that I don't really think that would be it either because, I mean, he's a Villanova four-year point guard who won two championships and he played his butt off the whole time with the Mavericks. I mean, it was a contract year and he did get paid – but I, from from watching him for four years, like if you were to ask me as a Mavericks fan, my assumption would be that he would never be the kind of player that would take, uh, would become more casual because of his circumstances. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. Like I, he really does, really was like a winner with the way he played, and I think not turning the ball over and how efficient he is. Like you think that stuff would translate to a level of like defensive detail. I guess that's kind of my thing. That's something I always think about with like guys when they're being drafted is if they have really good basketball feel, I'm like, I kind of feel more confident about them figuring out like if they have really good feel on offense, but they're a bad off ball defender. I'm like, I kind of feel like they, they are more like, I mean, it's just something that, that kind of goes hand in hand. It's just all about feel. And 
because he's so detail oriented on offense, I kind of have always just trusted him that he, you know, figures that stuff out on defense or if it's rebounding, but I can't, I mean, I probably do. Like if, if I was to go back and watch some game against the Warriors, I would probably see him get bodied for a rebound, but it's also possibly because his size, I never thought twice about it. I was just like, okay, he's not going to be a great rebounder or just because the Mavs suck at rebounding in general. So like, as Mavs fans, we just know we're losing rebounds by like 15 and it's just like trying to win the math the way we do. But that could also be part of it where I'm like, you know, like, oh, they got an offensive rebound. That's which is why the Knicks have killed us. It's like Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle just destroy the boards every time we play, play Dallas. For whatever reason. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's just one of those bad, just a bad matchup. Type yeah, thing. weird. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm I just bring this stuff up because I think it's only fair to to bring it up. Uh because he hasn't been good at these things and it's worth raising those concerns. Like it's 11 games. Obviously it's not the end of the world and he's obviously provided a lot of good things as well, but like, you know, uh, you can't not bring this stuff up. And, and, and to your point about him being detail oriented, hopefully this is the type of thing that the coaching staff is bringing up with him because it's like, he is the type of guy. And I, I, I I'm a hundred percent with you. Like, the way he carries himself, the way he seems to approach things. He's the type of guy where it's like, if you challenge him on stuff like that, I would expect it to improve. Yeah. You know, like he's not the type of guy where he's like, he's going to kind of bristle at, at a coach telling him like, you need to get better at this. I think he's the total opposite where if he does bristle at it, it's more like, you know, what? I'll, I'll fucking show you like, no, I'll show you. I, I I'm not bad at this thing. Um, so yeah, I'm not worried about him really in any of this stuff. Like defensively, my worry is more just, you know, physical limitations how do you yeah. run that one well, within do- like a team concept if there's randall there too it's like it's like barrett robinson and then trying to figure out that second starter like it's like not enough it might not be enough defensive oomph to totally cover for two guys doing the wrong thing being liabilities you know what i mean well and and i guess this is you know, we can shift. We talk a lot about his defense. We probably shift to the other side of the ball where he is like, you know, genuinely a quality, quality player. Um, you know, I think the defensive stuff you can live with if you're getting enough offensively. And on an individual level, you can argue that we're getting more than enough out of Brunson and Randall. Um, but collectively, there's just some stuff it it doesn't feel good. Like that starting lineup, especially has struggled. Uh, they have a slightly negative net rating. Those two on the court together. It's like minus 0.2 right now, which isn't like the end of the world, but you know, they're, I think Randall right now is a 57.8 true shooting. Brunson's at 57.3. When you're two, ostensibly two of your, at least three top leading guys are scoring at that level and playing so many minutes together, you would think they would be a positive. The fact that they're not a positive is very concerning or not yet. Yeah, they're not a positive. And the fact that they're not, I think is concerning to me, but to touch on Brunson individually, like is so obviously he didn't run point last year with Dallas in the starting lineup anyway, but he did run a lot of point over his time in Dallas. Yeah. There have been like games so I guess there's two questions I have for you. One, does he struggle at times getting his team into sets, like finding the balance between, because he's geared as a scorer for sure, right? He yeah. is a scorer. Does he sometimes struggle? So one, does he sometimes struggle to find the balance between balancing, hit, finding his scoring game, looking for a shot with getting the team into offensive sets, initiating offense, getting everybody involved. And then two, um, did you see progression from him as a lead guard over his time in Dallas? And would you expect to see more in time as he's like, you know, this is the first time he is the lead guy on the team. Uh, And so would you expect to see more of that as time goes on in New York? Well, I will say that he's kind of a, he's a funky player. Like, I, I feel like people may not have that assumption because he's like, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I guess that he's funkier than people realize is how I would put it. Like he's like got this old man game on the inside in the paint and he doesn't turn the ball over at all, but he's not like an offensive engine playmaker. That's what's interesting to me is that like usually 
a guy who's that good is like a caretaker of the ball. You expect to also be like the Mike Conley, you know, like that kind of archetype that the low turnover guy is really good with the ball. He's a good leader. Like all those things you think he would be a really advanced playmaker, but he is kind of score first and he doesn't really like, he's not the best lob thrower. He's not the best. Uh, I mean, maybe it was always cause he was in comparison with, you know, he was playing next to Luca and also that we needed him to score a lot, but I think he's definitely like a starting point guard and not a combo guard, but he's not like going to raise the ceiling of your offense just from his like existence on the team. Like he doesn't have that kind of playmaking. And so it's really like the efficiency of his scoring and the fact that he's like a good caretaker point guard. And I'm not saying, you know, the Knicks can't be get better without him being that like insane playmaker. But I did see a lot of people be like, Oh, we're finally going to have that kind of like quarterback on the floor who makes everything kind of work. And I, he's not quite that, you know what I mean? And well, I think, and I, I look, I'm, I'm with you. I, and I, I was completely fine with them signing Brunson. Like yeah. I, I think it made sense. I think he's a good player. I'm happy with what he's giving us. And like, to be quite honest, like people do this with a lot of guys, like, there's been this whole thing of like, oh, the Knicks should have traded for Dejounte Murray. And it's like, look, Dejounte Murray's good, but if you watch him play, he's not he's not some like elite quarterback who's just you know. Yeah, he's not like that yeah. either. No, they're 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 both a lot, and uh, most of these guys now, a lot of these lead guard type dudes in the in the league, they are geared to scorers, and they're not just like out there making sure everybody's getting their touches and all that stuff. Like, you know, honestly, I think in some ways the last of this kind of that type of guard might be somebody like Kyle Lowry who yeah you know who's aging out obviously now and his we'll see what happens with him in Miami it has not looked great this year from what i've seen um but like there there's not a lot of those guys out there so that's not a massive concern for me but what i think is an issue and this was this was my concern all off season this is why even when we were oh we're going to get Donovan Mitchell and like that would be fantastic and it's like like okay i just don't see a world where, you know, currently the Knicks are in a world where you got our, like Jalen Brunson, okay? He's a very much inside-out guard. Yes, he's got a great mid-range and pull-up shooting game, and yes, but he is trying to get in the paint. He's an inside scorer. R.J. Barrett, another guy, downhill, inside scorer. Randall, another guy that ideally, you know, he might not fancy himself to be this person all the time, but is a downhill inside scorer. Like, these are three guys who are all trying to effectively do the same thing. And I didn't like that idea. I, I never liked that idea. I thought if they had done a trade and kept RJ Barrett and acquired Donovan Mitchell, that that, that team would have still been at his... I, I did not like that at all. I thought it would have been a very much uh, less than the sum of its part type parts yeah. team. And then, you know, like... but And that's before even getting into the fact that, like, if you have ball dominant players, that's totally fine because all teams stars are inherently ball dominant, right? At their core, that's what a star is. That's the type of player they generally are. But they need to have off ball utility as well. And I just don't I don't care what the hell Randall is shooting from three. Like teams are thrilled. Anytime yeah. he takes a three, that's that is a win for them. He does no gravity out there. Nobody cares about it. It doesn't help anybody, it doesn't open anything up. It just doesn't matter. And that was my concern. And so like when the, the way this comes back to Brunson is like, I can see a world where I think Brunson and RJ fit. I think they make sense. I think whatever you think of RJ all-star going to just be a solid player, whatever they make sense together. It's not like a huge, Oh, how are they going to fit? I've never felt that way about him and Julius. I don't think it's an easy fit. And I think it's exacerbated by the fact that Thibodeau is a coach who is not going to play Julius at the five a ton. Uh, There's less. And so like the funny thing you mentioned is what I thought made Brunson, not, not that he's not a great scorer anyway, but like what I thought really took him and, and the Mavs to a certain extent to a higher level last year is when they went five out, not only did you have Luca who nobody can stop five out really, you also had Brunson as like, and Brunson, we've seen it in New York already a few games where Tibbs has gone with Obi and Randall together in the in the front court and stuff like that. And like when that court gets spread out, man, 
good luck trying to keep Brunson out of the paint and good luck trying to get stop him from getting a shot off that right. that's a shot he wants because he's I mean you know this he's got a, his bag is tremendous he's got great handles he's got all the footwork you need inside he, he's just super tricky and he's got great touch his touch is phenomenal um but we're not going to get that right now and so like there's just all these weird conflicting things going on and it's like yeah I mean it, weirdly, I think br- getting Brunson while a good move is making it very obvious that there are like just more moves on this roster that need to happen. Yeah, that was like the Mavs fan resentment towards the Brunson move. Our go to was like, well, what are they going to do about the spacing? You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's like not always reflective of like one player. Like, I could see Knicks fans being mad that Mitchell Robinson is just there because he can't spread the space the floor. And it's like, that's not really Mitchell Robinson's fault that, that like the, the other guy, cause none of the other guys are like great spacers. You know what I mean? So it's like not, except Randall, I can see that's who it, where it's like, just cause he probably takes a lot of the shots and wants to, but, and also when like Fournier hasn't been good. So you don't have that. Like, like if you had the one kind of movement shooter, people have to worry about, but that was kind of always my idea is I was like, how, how is Brunson going to be quite as efficient? And it's kind of like a testament that he has still, but I knew that all those guys wanted to get into the lane. I knew Barrett wanted to get to the free throw line. Like when he was at his best last year, that like three fourths the way through the year when he was getting to the free throw line, like 13 times yeah. sometimes I was like, cause that's always been my vision for him. It's like he, I always think I want RJ Barrett to be Jimmy Butler, not, a shooting guard, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I actually was going to ask you, have, does he ever play at the four this year? I know, I think last year he did kind of sometimes play at the four sometimes, and I think that really helps him. But it Randall just gums all that up. And I was going to ask you, too, about Obi Toppin is shooting really well, which, like, if he shoots well, I mean, he's, he's something for sure. But the Randall, just right there in the middle of it, him and Robinson both, it's like something has to kind of clear that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, no, we haven't seen any Randall before this year, I don't think. Uh, if we have, it's been, you know, very, very brief to the point that uh, we haven't seen it really. I um, – look, I, I I wish I could disagree with anything you're saying about Randall. I, I'm Again, I spent the entire offseason saying, like, I literally, you can find multiple tweets of, of me saying, like, I think this offseason is a failure if they don't move Randall, especially if they keep Tibbs. And they did both of those things. They kept Tibbs. They kept Randall. I don't see how it's going to work. I, I think you need, like, if you're going to make this thing work, you need to have a much more creative offensive mind. You need to have somebody who is going to get these guys moving on and off ball in a way that they're just not ever going to do in a Tibbs offense because Tibbs' offense is not predicated on that type of stuff he's not going to run flowing movement sets like you know forget fucking golden state just watch utah like and this has been the frustrating people are like well how, what can he do he doesn't have a star he doesn't have this thing it's like like does utah have a fucking star you know like i know larry Markinen's playing great and like but like or do we think that he's a star or do we think he's playing great because they're putting him in positions and they're moving these guys all around and they're using them in such diverse ways yeah and it's not stagnant. And it's like, and it's also just proof like you don't need three fucking years to install this stuff. Like you can install basic movement and motion packages right off the bat. And it's like, and at the same time, I'm I'm like, I'm willing to understand like Dallas doesn't run a lot of like beautiful motion heavy yeah, stuff. Yeah, because it's just it's it's I mean it frustrates us because it's like what Luke is comfortable in and it's worked. But there aren't. We don't have a lot of counters. You know what I mean? But, yeah, and I, I think that's where losing Brunson really hurts you guys. Yeah, exactly. He was like, he's not even like a counter, but he's just someone who who fits that so easily, right? Yeah. Um, and like, you know, we, and I probably we will go to the Mavericks just, but just to stick with the Knicks for a while. It's like, yeah, like this is why the Randall thing just concerned me. And then on top of that, again, like it's like you could convince me of like a different coach making this work better. You could convince me of. Tibbs without Randall making this work better. I just I just don't see how Tibbs is the guy with Randall here with the other personnel. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I'm I think we're we're heading to a point where like 
it's going to happen at one at some point. You know, at some point, they're either going to fire Tibbs or Dolan's going to lose his mind clean house or Randall's going to get traded. But th- this status quo is not going to be the status quo for very long. And, you know, it's like, like you mentioned, like, to me, it's not that Brunson is struggling, but it's like, like, he's not the most advanced passer. He's not some, like, savant playmaking guy. So when you make the floor even more congested and he's got less kickout options and stuff, like, it doesn't help his playmaking. It doesn't help optimize his playmaking either. And, like, it really doesn't optimizing anybody's playmaking. So, you know, I think the Knicks are in, like, this weird place. And I, I think, like, people are, like, really obsessed now with calling it, though, they're purgatory, mediocrity, stuck here forever. And it's, like, as a shorthand, I don't really mind calling it that. But for to me, to me, it's more like they're just in a place where it's, like, not, like, sometimes you're in a position as a front office where the decisions facing you are kind of straightforward. And there's only, like, one path to go and, you know, some two or three decisions to make. The Knicks are in a place now where it's like they've got some tough decisions to make. And some of that is self-inflicted, but some of that is just like natural progression of contracts and players. And what are you going to do about it? You know, like, are you willing to fire a coach? Like, it shouldn't, to me, be a huge crisis. And I understand that, like, a front office generally only gets one coach hire and coach decision, so that's a delicate thing that you have to manage. But, like, if he's not the right coach, he's not the right coach. Yeah. And if Randall's not, I mean, like, ultimately where you're at is that if you're going to focus on, like, Randall being one of your number one or two guys, you're not going anywhere. It's not getting anything. We know this. Yeah. So, like, I don't really understand the purpose of trying to optimize Randall. Especially not as a four, like as a pure four. Just none of that really makes sense to me, especially not in the schemes we're running, especially not under this coach. And I think that's what's really frustrating for me and a lot of fans where it's like, if something's not working, it's one thing. But if something's not working and you're not really trying to do anything different other than like, well, we got a better point guard. Like that, that's okay. So you just upgraded like, it's like if your car he's not working properly, but instead of getting your engine checked out, you just like replace, like get an oil change or something. I don't even know. Like I'm not a car guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a car guy. So I don't know if that's a great analogy, but it's like, you're not actually addressing the real problem. You're just trying to make the real problem less, less of an issue and more easily to coast by. But it's like, you know, ultimately you're ended up stuck in a very, middle ground of which ends up you know look again i it i understand why people call it purgatory i don't know of the the 45 i think it was 45 wins the two years ago season i don't know if it gave them this feeling that yeah we have all these picks and we're going to make a big move in the future but right now we want to be the eight seed because to me all of those assets give you leverage to be like we'll go 30 and 52 right now it just doesn't matter and, like, it doesn't feel like that's how they have approached things. Like, it feels like – because I think if you have all these assets in the future, you can kind of make some, like, moves that hurt you right now because you know right now is not really the focus. And I, it's actually kind of ironic that you're talking to a Mavs fan about it and this is the player that's going to come up. But I kind of feel like you have to do what we did with KP and just pull the Band-Aid off and not necessarily, yes. not necessarily get the best trade – Take, I mean, we took back Breton, so like you might take back other bad money, but it's just like a structural thing that's like we're not moving forward until we're past this, till we're literally are moved forward past it. And then like you have assets for the future, you have Barrett and Brunson who you want to be a part of that future, and you just kind of need the like. I've been talking about this a lot with Christian Wood, which I know we're gonna talk about later, but I just keep making these analogies where like you have to give guys agency going forward. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and, and I just don't think I, I would doubt your front office has any illusions that Randall will be a part of like the next great Knicks team. And yet he is kind of like, would you say the number one option on offense? Yeah. Oh, he, he's, yeah. he's leading the team in usage. And it's, it's like when the season started, right. 
one of the things, and God, like the, I, if I never have to hear about this again, you probably, I don't know if you watched their game last night. That was on ESPN, and you probably didn't watch it on MSG. But on MSG, the entire fucking year, all we've heard, it's like it's like such obvious like state-sponsored propaganda where it's like every game, it's like, oh, Julius, it's so nice to see him playing with a smile again. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, look, like it's great that he's smiling again and not being a huge raging asshole the entire time like yeah. he was last year. But like ultimately, I don't care. Like if he's the most miserable, morose motherfucker, but the team is playing better with him on the floor, great, fantastic. Right, I don't care. But if you're miserable, like if you're, smiling and joyful and happy and the team sucks ass i don't care i don't care and i don't personally find watching him like like i, I there are people that will like tell you you know you're scapegoating him you're putting it all on him it's not his fault rj's not shooting well enough brunson's got on the team better tibbs is putting him in a bad situation blah 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 blah, blah. and so on and so forth oh quickly he's not playing he's not hitting shots ob can't defend oh look all those things can be true and you're not scapegoating him to be like, I want to trade him. Because, like, to your point, was KP wasn't even bad for the Mavericks last year. Last year, I, I remember watching one of the Mavericks, and I was like, looks like he's playing better this year. But guess what? That team was not going anywhere. They, they were not getting better. They were stuck in the same position. And ultimately, he was he, him and Luka just did not work the way that people wanted them to work. Right, it's easy to be like, oh, pick and pop forever. Like this is the new Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki, but it's like it's actually kind of hard to one get Luca to be like, you've got to give a little bit more to KP, and then to also get KP to be like, yeah, we're just gonna need you to be more of a pure pick and pop guy. Like that's a very hard yeah. to strike. And I think the issue here, like what we're seeing is, yeah, to start the year it was great. You know, oh, he's deferring to Brunson. Brunson's running the show. Brunson's not. And as the season's gone on, it's you see it more. Julius, he's taking more on himself. He's trying. He's initiating more. He is getting rebounds and then bringing the ball up himself. He's like you're seeing a reversion to the exact same stuff that pissed everybody off last year. It doesn't matter to me if he's making or missing shots when he does it. The process is the process. Mm-hmm. The process fucking sucks, and it is what it is. And it's like like to your point. Like I've talked. I've literally. I. I. You can. You know. I have mentioned, funny you bring up Bertans because I have like for like a full year, I was like, I will take Davis Bertans for Julius Randle. I will do it. I don't care. <laughs> I will just take, I don't care if it's a dead salary that's on the books for another two years. That it's actually perfect. He doesn't need, he doesn't want to play. Also, because I think we always look to the Wizards whenever, whenever you're trying to figure out how to just like exchange crappy veterans. Right. It's like, it's like let's just switch with them. Right. But it's like, and it's like, it's like, I don't care. Like, I'll, I, Perfect. He doesn't have the cachet to be upset if we just keep on the bench. Like Duncan Robinson, come on down. Give me his piece of shit salary. Like I will take somebody who has a bad salary who I can just bench. I'll just do that because to me, that's how you progress. And like, like people, people will get on RJ and he deserves like, look, he's gotten paid now. He, he deserves criticism when he plays poorly. I got no problem with that. What I do have a problem with is we are in his fourth year in the NBA and we have put him in a position every single year where he plays next to Julius Randle and he plays with probably the worst spacing in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And he's a downhill player whose entire game is predicated on going inside, drawing fouls, being physical, whatever. No, he's not the best finisher at the rim. You want to know who else is not a great finisher at the rim? Jimmy fucking Butler. That's another guy who's not a great finisher at the rim. But that's... You can try to get over that by having guys that are good free throw shooters that get to the line a bunch, and just the fact that they collapse the defense a bunch. Yeah, open things up on the rim. Yeah, yeah, and 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 look, he's got to get better at kicking out when he drives and all these things. But you don't put him in a position where you are. Like, I still have excuses for him. Is kind of where I'm at. Where I'm like, I watch it. I'm like, well, where did you want him to pass to? And it's like, what I want them to do is get rid of Randall. I don't care if you get the worst stretch forward in the history of basketball to play there just get somebody out there who's going to spread the floor a little bit and like be a less ball dominant player and be happy to 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 run dho's and and kind of be a more low usage off ball utility type and it's like let's just see what that looks like let's see what what it is and you know what it's probably just play ob topping with the starters instead but like we're not going to see any of that as long as julius is there and so as long as julius is there we're not going to see Obi play with the starters. We're not going to see what 
a world where RJ is the second option playing off of a, a good lead guard like Jalen Brunson, what that looks like. What we're going to see is this awkward balancing act where like he's the third guy and Jalen and and Julius are doing some weird two-man stuff that isn't exactly flowing beautiful basketball that's helping everybody else. And it's just it's all very like segmented, stilted type of offense. And yeah. like I don't know. I, I just it, it it does I like it's not to scapegoat Randall because it's not like if you trade Randall all of a sudden the Knicks are now, yep, we're on the track to win a championship. Here we go. Like, no, but like you're you're not in that position. And that's the acceptance that needs to happen. You're not in that position. So what can you do? What what choices can you make that help optimize your chances of being in that position long term? What does what removing Julius Randle does is now you're putting the onus on guys like Brunson and RJ and to a lesser extent Obi quickly. These younger dudes you've drafted, the onus is on them. Hey, we just freed up 27 usage that doesn't even exist on the roster anymore. That's all yours now. That's all that shot creation, all that ball handling, all that. You guys divvied up, figure it out, split well, it out. And there's more space. Yeah, there's more for space. For you to do it with, you know right. what I mean? So let's see what you guys can do. And if they suck, guess what? Now you know. And if they don't suck, great. Now, now you don't suck. And now, now these guys probably have a lot more trade value than they did before. And if they do suck, guess what? Your pick got better. Like, to me, the, the, there's no downside in moving Julius. And there's also, like, no upside in keeping him. Yeah. So, like, that is the problem. It's like, the only upside that exists for you at this point in time is to trade him. There's no upside in keeping him. And there's no downside or, or there's no downside in in trading him. And, like, until there's a realization and an acceptance and a decision made to that end, I'm going to be sitting here on a podcast with you and any guest I ever have talking about how much I am annoyed by watching Julius Randle play basketball. Well, those those fours, and it makes sense for Przingis to be in this conversation because he really just liked to like go to work in the lane, and those fours are becoming like a losing proposition. Like the, I'm going to go to work in the lane and try to get a mid-range shot or punish a mismatch, unless they're really good at doing it. But like, that's, I think, why a lot of people were kind of wary of Paulo, which is like clearly wrong. But a lot of people were like, oh, he's just going to be good Julius Randle. But like, inefficient mid-range shots that you have to sit there and go to work for eight seconds on are like not what anyone wants, especially when you, because Porzingis was only shooting like 29% from three. And I mean, Randle... Just kind of similar. I think of like LeBron James with Kevin Love and how they never fit. I think you want that four position to feel like a big wing, not to feel like a small big. You know what I mean? And not every team does that. Like Cleveland obviously has their Twin Towers thing and it works. But you have to have like two like true freaks. You know, you have to have Mobley and Allen and like Minnesota's doing it and it's not working. And they have Townsend Gobert. They have like a lot of talent and it's still gumming up the works. So for it to be Randall and Mitchell Robinson, it's like, that's not bringing enough to, to the table to sacrifice the spacing. And I find that that's kind of what we had to do with KP and we lost talent. But as soon as we had three wings or four perimeter players, or however you want to look at it. And I, I don't think you have to be five out. Cause I think even if Robinson is, is rolling, it's still spaced out way more. It's not a matter of like, it's not like you have to commit to this like up and down Mike D'Antoni principles. It's just that, there's like no way that that shot can be as efficient as like a spread out that, 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 that old school power forward game can be like, you have to be so good. You have to be so efficient. And like Randall's not Porzingis wasn't Paulo is, but that was a lot of people's fear with him is that he would just be taking mid range twos. And so I think that like, even though you guys might be a little bit worse, y'all would be surprised by how, like, I mean, that it's kind of, wasn't it like, common that the bench mob would kind of like win games for New York. And I mean, I know that happened a lot last year. Haven't actually gotten to watch as much this year, but last year for whatever, you know how when you're doing like the league pass jumping around, you're like, for some reason I've watched four Sacramento King games this week. And I don't know, it like never has any rhyme or reason. 
And last their games are so crazy. It's like no, and they're all late. So their their game yesterday was like it it just had no flow to it, and they went from like they're up fifteen, they're cruising, and they're down ten, and then they somehow they end up winning the game. It was just like what the hell is going on? That's how they always are. But I I, uh, last year when I was saying that I saw RJ Barrett when he was playing really well, for some reason I watched a lot of Knicks in that time frame, and like the young guys were really playing well, and it just seems like that's not part of the like vision of how to win games even now like they're trade chips and they're guys who will be good in, in good parts of the future but i've always like kind of questioned like how they're being perceived and played right now which i was going to ask you about grimes because i'm really high on grimes but i know he was injured and i've seen that he hasn't really played since he's come back so do you what's the deal there because i feel like he could be really key just as like a pure three and d guy like that's kind of what you want at that two spot but did you lose me I did, but you can you can finish now. Yeah, you're back. Uh, I don't know where I got cut off. I mean, I was leading the Grimes to ask about Grimes, yeah, because I I was really high on him or just am, and I know he was hurt, but then I've seen that he's come back, and so are they just like ramping him up? Like, is is it is it kind of perceived that he will get a shot at the two, or is it like because that's what's confusing to me is I feel like these young guys will kind of go up and down, and I'm always kind of which I realize they're playing up and down because they're young. But I can't ever really get a feel as a non-Knicks fan of, like, what the hierarchy is. I'll just be like, oh, no, Quickly's playing well. And I play fantasy basketball, too, so I can at least see, like, where minutes and stats right, are. Right. And I'll, be like, I'll be like, oh, I kind of thought that was popping. And it, I just have wondered and don't really have any Knicks fans in my life, but, like, how it feels what the hierarchy is of, like, the young players. That's a great question, and I am going to answer it. But before I do, NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started. And so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, and more. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, okay, so this thing with the young guys has been my entire issue. This has been my entire problem the entire year. And not just this year, we're going back to last year. If you, they, the front office has like made it very clear on several occasions. We love our young guys. We love, the, you know, we buy the talent. We love the talent we have. We want to develop them. We love them. We want to keep them, blah, blah, blah. Show me, like I, I. That's it's as simple as that. Show me, show me you love them. Because to me, what you're doing right now doesn't show me any of that. Uh, like Derek Rose is still coming in first guard off the bench. Can we I have him? Can will you guys just send Derek? I Rose would him? love to send. I heard Derek Rose. I don't think he's been playing well, but like we just need a ball handler. So I, I would <laughs> love to send Derek Rose to Dallas. <laughs> um, but like. To me, be like, be like, oh, quickly's not shooting well, quickly struggling, and I'm like, I don't care. I, I, I'm sorry, I literally don't give a shit because the entire point is like, find out, find out. Because right. last year, when they when they gave him the ball and they they put him in these positions to be a point guard for long stretches of time, he figured it out. He looked really fucking good the last two months of the season after the All Star break. That's like 25 games. It's not an insignificant sample, and he's consistently graded out as an elite defensive player for them. This is for like three years now, basically, especially the last two. He's always, even when he, he's shooting like absolute crap from the floor right now. He once again is one of the highest in the team in terms of on off and on court rating. The guy helps you win basketball games, even when he's shooting like crap. And if he starts shooting like better, start shooting better. Guess what happens? It only increases. Obi Toppin, you drafted him eighth overall. He's a really good player. He's actually developed into quite a good player. See, I was always low on him thinking he was going to be kind of like, a player from another era. I just didn't know his shot would come along. Yeah, I mean that was well, that was once your shot comes along, they're good. Like th- that's just how it is sometimes. Yeah. And and like people are like, oh, well, his defense is rebounding, and it's like, 
dude, you're not drafting Michael Jordan. Okay. Yes. The guy's going to have a flaw. He's not going to be perfect. He's going to have some things that, you know, what he gives you has to outweigh what he's taking off the, taking off the floor. And it, it does. It does. Yes. He's a weak defensive rebounder. Yes. He has issues defensively. I don't care. What he helps you do are things that you cannot get elsewhere on the team. The way he helps you push the pace, the way he helps keep the ball moving, the way he keeps the flow offensively, like the way how efficient he is as a scorer. These are just things that are super valuable. And he does it all without taking away from the collective. He doesn't slow down the offense. He doesn't, you know, bog it down into an ISO thing, force you to blow up a set, and then throw a grenade out to somebody with six seconds left on the shot clock. These are like basic things. Like it's if you do not prioritize getting these guys 25 minutes a night, at least 20, 25 minutes a night consistently over vets, like again, like Derek Rose, Evan Fournier, I don't need to see these guys. They're not doing anything for you. They don't matter. They do not matter. They, they just don't. You're not going to become a world beating team playing them this year. And they are irrelevant to your future. Yeah. You don't need to be like playing at, them best, at best. They're a push right. against the young players, but you're going to, prioritize them because you're familiar with them they make you feel comfortable but like even at their best it's probably a push it's probably about the same you know what i right. mean so why not play the young Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, it's fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.